Hey there, everybody. Before we get into the episode, there are a couple of quick announcements that I forgot to slip in at the beginning, so I'm going to go ahead and give those to you now before we get into our discussion. For starters, we have been working on some new intro music, so don't be alarmed when you hear that. But secondly, and this is very exciting, we will soon be sitting down with an astrophysicist here on the podcast to have an interview and discuss questions about science and faith. So if you have any questions about science and faith, or how science relates to Christianity specifically, I want to encourage you to submit those to us so that we can ask them during that episode. And yes, even questions with a little bit of skepticism are more than welcome. So if you have any questions like that, or you know someone that does, in this episode's description, I've included a link to a Google form. Using that form, you can submit your questions completely anonymously, or feel free to leave your name if you'd like, and we'll get those questions in so that we can have them for the interview. I am very excited about this, and I want all of our listeners to have a chance to submit your questions and have them answered by someone who is not only a strong believer, but also very knowledgeable on these sorts of subjects. So again, if you have a question or you know someone that does, just use that Google form in the episode description, or you can feel free to submit that to our general listener contact form in the show description, and we will ask those questions during the interview. But without further delay, let's get into the episode. While that is still beneficial for the people that hear the gospel, for that individual, the reward is earthly. They got the recognition and approval from others that they were looking for. That's what they sought. He or she already has the reward for that action. This is why faith and intention are so important. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to An Average Account of Exceptional Things. My name is Chandler, and I am your host. Thank you for joining us today. So this week, we will be talking about storing up treasures. What does it mean to store up heavenly treasures? How can we do that? And what makes heavenly treasure so valuable? Those are some of the questions that we're going to take a look at today. And there will be some discussion on how faith and our actions contribute to those questions in a practical sense as well. But why this episode? Why are we discussing this topic specifically, you might be asking? Well, I have a quick story about that. So this past week, coming off of that incredible interview with Brandon talking about evangelism, you know, the topic of evangelism was on my mind. And I ended up having a great discussion with another good friend of mine about how Christianity is sort of an outward-facing faith, that Christians do have a desire that more people would come to faith and would come to know Christ. 
And then we started talking about the motivation behind that. Because it's not about just numbers. I mean, for some people, perhaps it is. But when you're driven by that love for God and the desire that more people would truly come to know Christ, to have a relationship with God, it isn't about the numbers. It's about changing lives. That's what drives the desire to share the gospel. And there certainly are people out there who are sharing the gospel to raise themselves up, to say, look at how many people I share the gospel with. But that's not the correct motivation. The right motivation for sharing the gospel is that people can actually know God, that hearts are changed, and that souls are saved. We're not called to share the gospel so that others see how great of a Christian we are, or how skilled we are in our speech, or our persuasion. We're called to share the gospel so that others have the opportunity to come to know Christ. And as he and I were talking, I think it's interesting to think about, because both of them are the same action, sharing the gospel. And both result in someone hearing the gospel. But in one case, it's done to further God's kingdom and to keep his commandments. And in the other case, it's for personal gain. Whether that's elevating our reputation or it's some other incentive. They're the same in all but motivation. But that distinction makes them fundamentally different undertakings. One stores up treasures in heaven, and the other seeks an earthly reward. And so that train of thought is what led us to this episode today, and that's why we're going to delve into this topic and explain further and discuss what it means to store up treasures in heaven and how that relates to our faith and our actions. So first, What are heavenly treasures, and what makes them so valuable? Well, I think to answer this, the first thing that we have to look at and ask ourselves is what are earthly or material treasures? Now, this one's fairly intuitive. Earthly treasures are all the things that you might strive for in search of personal gain. That includes not only material items like money or jewels, you know, sort of what we might think of as a physical treasure, but also the intangible things that people sometimes strive for. Think of traditional secular status symbols, for instance. We have the tangible, like wealth, but then there's also the intangible, status, power, or influence, perhaps reputation. Those sound pretty good at first, And earthly treasures might seemingly serve us well for time, perhaps even for our entire lives. But ultimately, they are finite, like everything else in this world around us. You may have heard the saying that you can't take things with you when you die. And in some ways, it is really that simple. Whether it's material goods or something intangible, all of those things are left behind when our lives are over. But why are we talking about earthly treasures? What do those have to do 
with storing up heavenly ones. Well, to explain this further, we're going to take a look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For some quick context on these verses, this passage comes from the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. That means the speaker here is Jesus, and he is addressing the disciples as well as a sizable crowd of listeners. So there's a little bit of background. We see here the contrast between earthly and heavenly treasures. Jesus first instructs that we shouldn't seek treasures on earth, reminding us that those things are corruptible. They don't last. But he doesn't stop there. After instructing us as to what we shouldn't be striving for, Jesus then points us to what we should be seeking, heavenly treasures. We can see that unlike earthly treasures, heavenly treasures are everlasting and incorruptible. Not only that, no one can steal them or take them from us, unlike earthly possessions or even an earthly reputation. And for me, that correction of what we would desire by our own self-focused nature to what we should rightly desire is important. Because I think we all desire something. Everyone has something that they are striving for or that they are longing for. In much the same way that sin is often a perversion and a twisting of what is right and true, I don't think that it is wrong to have ambition, to have a passion and a desire to seek after something. If you are following Christ and you have a desire to grow in your relationship with him, or you're striving to be more consistent in your spiritual disciplines, those are good things to seek after. The problem comes when we are seeking after the wrong things. So with that, we know some of the elements of heavenly treasures. But what exactly are heavenly treasures? Now the explanation that has resonated most with me comes from an interview from early in 2017 with Pastor John Piper, and I'd like to share some of the verses from that interview with you as we discuss this further. So there are a few verses presented to give a foundation of sorts, so let's go ahead and read some of those now. The first verse is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. The next passage is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God 
from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. And then the last one that I'll read here, Matthew chapter 10, verse 41. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And these are not all of the verses that you could find that speak to this, but they are some strong ones to look at. In all of these, we get this understanding that what we do in this life, even after accepting the gift of salvation, does matter for us eternally. Now certainly, the most important thing that a person can do is to accept Christ as their Savior, and this isn't to imply anything different. But that's not to indicate that after that, our actions and our conduct is meaningless. There is an eternal reward for the work that we do for the Lord. And so after presenting these verses, along with a few others, there is a quote that I feel really illustrates this in an excellent way. And the quote from John Piper is this, Everyone will be full in heaven, but some containers will be larger than others. And I think that this is a good way to approach that question of what heavenly treasures are, because everyone will be overflowing with joy in heaven. It is that our capacity would vary. So when we think about storing up treasures in heaven, it isn't to say that we would go from being halfway full of joy to being three-quarters full of joy. We will be completely full of joy regardless. But instead, it's our capacity for joy that we are working to grow. And I know that that can seem a bit abstract, but hopefully that's helped answer the question of what exactly heavenly treasures are. If you've still got a few questions about that, I would definitely encourage you to study this further. But I think that that view from John Piper is a good foundation of sorts. So now that we've established what heavenly treasures are and why they're so valuable, how do we actually go about storing them up? What does that look like? Well, the first step is that we have to accept the gift of salvation. If a person is not a believer, then there's no logical reason to desire heavenly treasures. Turning down earthly treasures in exchange for heavenly ones is an endeavor of self-denial. So if an individual has no hope for what is to come after this life, then denying oneself doesn't make a lot of sense. It's through the hope found in Christ and in the gospel that Christians can boldly work to further God's kingdom and deny earthly rewards in favor of heavenly ones. This is a relationship that's supported in Scripture. The verses here are 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 19. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? 
But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Now if this seems a little out of place, let me elaborate. The point here is that if Christ was not raised, then Christians would not have the same hope for eternity. And without that hope for eternity, Christians are to be pitied because we're sacrificing the pleasures and the indulgences of this world with no eternal reward. Now that is certainly not the case, and this passage was written to a group of people who denied bodily resurrection, so it was presented as a correction to that false belief. But I do believe that this passage also reinforces that it is through Christ's work and through our hope for eternity that Christians are not only able to deny the sinful pleasures and the earthly treasures of the world, but also because of that, it is logical for Christians to do so. To express this point another way, in order to store up treasures in heaven, we have to seek after and desire those heavenly treasures. And we cannot desire that unless our heart has first been changed, without that reordering of affections that comes through salvation. So I think that's step number one. After that comes the work. Honor God. For starters, that means putting God first above all things, particularly above the things of the world. Like we mentioned a moment ago, that is an endeavor that requires denying ourselves of those things. And that isn't always an easy thing to do. We have one such example of this in Scripture. The passage here is Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 22. And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Here we see a man who valued earthly treasures so greatly 
that it stood in the way of following Jesus. He was so attached to his wealth that it became like an idol. And when we hold so tightly to the earthly treasures that we might have, it can be quite the hindrance to any efforts to store up heavenly ones. And that example of sacrificial giving is just one way in which someone can live a life for Christ. Going out and sharing the gospel, serving others, time spent in prayer, fasting, you name it. Those are all things that we can do to serve and to honor God. And that is certainly not by any means an exhaustive list. Once again, however, don't confuse the value of these good works after salvation with salvation itself. It is not the works that facilitate salvation. It is through faith that we are saved. And through that saving power that changes hearts, we can in turn do good works. And this highlights an important point. Works done to honor and glorify the Lord are done for just that purpose. It isn't about earning approval or merit with God through those actions. We are covered by Christ's righteousness. We already have acceptance, so I think that distinction is important to make. And this leads us, then, to the relationship between faith and actions that was mentioned at the very beginning of the episode. Because it isn't just the actions that store up treasures in heaven, but the motivation behind them as well. Going back to the example of sharing the gospel, if a person's motivation in sharing the gospel is to build their own image and to brag about how many people they've shared the word with, while that is still beneficial for the people that hear the gospel, for that individual, the reward is earthly. They got the recognition and approval from others that they were looking for. That's what they sought. He or she already has the reward for that action. This is why faith and intention are so important. If we seek an earthly reward, that is what we're going to get. Because the purpose of the action wasn't to glorify and serve the Lord, but to glorify and serve ourselves. That goes for even good and seemingly religious things, like prayer or fasting, both of which we can see in Matthew chapter 6. Inherent in storing up heavenly treasures is the trust that the day will come when the work done for God will be rewarded. And that requires faith. If the reward is immediate, as earthly rewards often are, then there's no faith involved. So that is why, to store up treasures in heaven, we have to have faith, and we need to be motivated by a desire to obey and glorify God, not motivated by our own desire for personal gain. So as we begin to wrap things up for today, I think that there is one more concept that we ought to discuss, and that is the idea of opportunity cost. Some people may be familiar with this term, but for those who aren't, this is a term often used in business or finance settings. Opportunity cost 
is essentially what one option could have given you when you chose a different option. To put this into a bit more of a tangible example, imagine for a moment that you are a landscaper, and the way that your position works is that you are paid hourly. So let's say that you decide that you want to go see a movie with your friends on a Tuesday night. You could take off two hours early to go see that movie. Perhaps the cost of the movie ticket and concessions is going to be $10, but your hourly pay is $8 an hour. So if you were to really think about how much it costs you to go to the movies, it doesn't just cost you $10, because that also means that you took off two hours early from work. So by the time it's all said and done, you actually have 26 fewer dollars than if you had gone to work like you normally would and gotten off at your normal time. Because the actual cost of that decision was the cost of the movie plus the opportunity cost. Simply put, opportunity cost is what you are losing by passing on the alternative. But opportunity cost isn't something that's limited just to financial discussions. This idea of considering what we are giving up when making decisions can be applied to almost any choice. When we're faced with choices about how we're going to act, about what we will strive for, we also need to think about what we wouldn't be striving for in that moment. If we choose to spend that time working for earthly treasures, it isn't only that we have gained something temporary and fleeting, we have also missed the opportunity to use that time storing up heavenly treasures. Not only have we chosen something eternally meaningless, we have given up something eternally meaningful to do so. So when we are confronted with those decisions, I think we have to look at what we aren't receiving just as much as what we are receiving. Now, if you've got sharp ears, you may have noticed that there is one part of that original passage from Matthew that we haven't discussed yet, and that's the very end of the passage. Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In case the very nature of heavenly treasures in comparison to earthly ones wasn't enough to demonstrate why this is so important, here it is for us, very plainly. Where our treasures are is where our heart will be. Where do you want your heart to be? So with all that said, I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of An Average Account of Exceptional Things. And until next time, encourage one another, love your enemies, and count your blessings. Mm-hmm.